Hey folks, Rich from Trapping Inc. TV here. And I bet you're just like me, and the day can't start without that first cup of coffee. For me, it's Stout Maple. Old Smoke Coffee's darkest roast. Strong, aromatic, and smooth. That gets me revved up and ready for whatever the day throws at me. Old Smokes roast their coffee over wood fires, the old-fashioned way. Wood roasting takes time, much longer than modern hot air roasting. Slow roasting over wood takes the bitter out of the bean and imparts a heavenly taste and aroma from the wood used. Old Smokes makes a perfect roast for each person. There are five roasts from light to extra dark, each roasted over a different wood for a unique flavor. Right now you can order from their online store and use our promo code RICH, that's R-I-C-H, and get a free travel bottle on any purchase of $45 of coffee, excluding the Wounded Warriors blend. Just go to oldsmokescoffee.com that's O-L-E, smokescoffee.com. Use the promo code RICH. In these trying times, everybody's trying their best to adapt. Old Smokes is changing the promo rewards every couple of weeks, but every time, from now on, use RICH for the code. RICH will be the only promo code going forward, and what the heck, it's a lot less spelling on that silly phone screen. And now, back to today's show. Hey, welcome everybody. Welcome to the Scuttlebutt Podcast. I'm Rich Mellon, and tonight we have a special guest from Idaho. And this is Robert Roman, and Robert Roman is the president for the Foundation for the Management of Wildlife. And we'll get into that a little bit later, but you got to be a trapper, right? I am a trapper, yes. Probably a hunter too, knowing, knowing how much uh, there is for elk and, uh, and especially cats. I love the cats in Idaho. Sandy has a cat on the wall from Idaho. Yeah, I, I saw that, uh, that uh, clip that you had of her hunting the cat. Um, we have, uh, I've been hunting all my life. My father was a hunter and that's why we live in Idaho. He didn't like dairy farming in Wisconsin and headed for the promised land. <laughs> that's perfect. So originally from Wisconsin and moved to Idaho. Yes. When I was four, I convinced my father, let's go. Okay. Whereabouts in Idaho? Like we're in a panhandle, they call it. It's up, um, near Quarter Lane Lake and, uh, Ponderay Lake. Oh, okay. So it's uh, more mountainous and lots of lakes, and we get a fair amount of rain uh, compared to southern Idaho, which is, uh, it has its mountains too, but a lot of sagebrush and, and flatter ground. Right. Big valleys and whatnot, and we're more mountainous and river valleys and timbered. Okay. I've, uh, we're, we hadn't, um, cat we were in the uh, frank church wilderness wilderness of no return so we went uh, to chalice idaho and then we flew up yeah. into the into the river yeah when that we was... want to get out of the trees we go to chalice yeah. look for or something <laughs> <laughs> so uh yeah we we live up near uh not too far from spokane washington maybe a lot of people are familiar with spokane okay Okay. So did, were you a, a trapper, like right from, was your dad a trapper and, and that started you in trapping or is that something you picked up later? I was born with a trap in my hand. No, just joking. <laughs> uh, I, I started trapping uh, probably around 11 years old or 12. My, um, um, a, a game warden lived next door and he gave us some old traps to catch a, ground squirrels and whatnot with and that's probably where we first started trapping okay so from there you went into uh, uh, like what what was there to trap other than ground squirrels like i mean what was your commercial for oh it was kind of like you are on our way to school and back my brother and i would uh, trap the local swamp for mink and muskrat 
and um, raccoon once in a while. We, we didn't have a lot of raccoon in those days, but there's a lot now. And, uh, and then I, I think I was probably 11, maybe 10, when I caught a, a bobcat. So that was pretty exciting for a little boy. Oh, no kidding. No kidding. And the money they were worth back then, you know? <laughs> yeah, um, $70 we got for it. And that was a lot back then. That was a lot of money. You better believe it was. What's your, what's your favorite animal to trap? Wolf. Wolf. Okay. <laughs> and, and what's your favorite technique for them? Uh, I use uh, a lot of dirt hole sets, I guess, is what I've used historically here. Okay. Can you bait wolves there? We can bait wolves uh, using um, roadkill or butcher scraps or whatever. We have to keep our traps back um, 30 feet uh, and our snares, which that makes good sense anyway. Uh, if we want to use a bait in an actual set, we have to uh, make sure it's covered so birds can't see it. Really? Yeah. Huh. Like That's... in a dirt hole, I'll put some grass in the front of the dirt hole to uh, let the air go in and out, but to camouflage the uh, bait and it maybe looks like a mouse nest or something. So would, you wouldn't have a lot of, a lot of bait at a, at a site then? Uh, no, not unless we're going to snare. And if we're going to snare, we try to imitate you Canadians. And, uh, <laughs> and, and then we'll put our snares out in the, uh, out a ways away from the bait. Yeah. Yeah. We, we kind of learned that from you nice people who sold us these nice wolves. <laughs> Come on, we were trappers and we were getting paid to catch something. <laughs> that was a win-win situation for you, that's for sure. We kept asking, you sure you want them alive? You know, you sure you want them alive? You want them alive, okay? <laughs> <laughs> well, one of our uh, more questionable decisions we ever made. We've, we've had some, some stupid ones. Uh, we are trying to save, I don't, and I think it's a, a lost cause, but we're trying to save the woodland caribou here in Alberta. And if there was ever an animal that was born to, with a will to die, it's a woodland caribou and a rainbow trout. And they have, there, there are a couple zones that they're in, like they're, they're down to herds of one herd is 63 and another is 48 and stuff like that, right? We lost just about the entire herd. We lost 14 of 18 uh, out of a herd that was in the mountains in an avalanche. Oh, wow. Yeah. But what they're trying, one of the things that they decided they needed to do because the wolves were there was they, they thought they would kill all the moose. So they have, yeah. uh, they, they, they've uh, launched big programs where we, like no place else in Alberta other than these two uh, wildlife management units that have caribou in it, can you hunt a cow moose? But there they were, they were giving all kinds of cow moose tags. And just because you know the the kind of terrain that that uh, caribou like to live in, it's it's very uh, old forest and it's very thick and dense and it's rough and, and that kind of stuff. So it's not really easy hunting. And <laughs> of course, the zone is is bordered on one side, but you know you just have to walk across a, a road and you're in a different zone. Okay, and and another side is the same way. And so all these people would get these these cow moose tags, and then they would uh, you know discover it was really hard hunting in in WMU three fifty three, and but three fifty four and three fifty six had lots of cow moose, and it was easy hunting, and you know so 
they they kept they kept thinking that you know they had seven eight hundred moose left in this in this zone, and every year there were you know nine hundred people were were being successful, and they were just too dumb to figure out what was going on. But their whole idea was they thought they could starve out the wolves. They thought that if they killed off all the moose, the wolves would leave rather than eating the caribou. Well, if that was true, then they wouldn't have been eating the caribou while the moose were there, right? Right. They'd have been filled <laughs> up on moose. <laughs> well, well, you know what that tells me? That either the woodland caribou price that we pay you to bring them down here to try and feed our wolves, which I think they've stopped that program, but we were buying them from Canada, woodland caribou, bringing, bringing them to northern Idaho and um, northern Montana, turn them loose, and uh, they would go back home. We'd buy them again. <laughs> Another hey, you, win, win you, can't bl- you can't blame us for, for uh, you know, a, a great uh, economic model like that. <laughs> no, I, you know, I'm looking for a deal like that myself. But uh, uh, so we, uh, I, I think they've given up on the caribou here because the wolves have taken off so well that I don't think there's a chance for caribou to make it anymore, if, even if there was one. Well, and the caribou don't take pressure really well. I mean, the, the only place the caribou are, are in good shape in Alberta is in the far north where there's not a lot of, you know, like up, up on my trapline or north of my trapline, actually. Um, they're called porcupine mountains, or not porcupine mountains, the caribou mountains is what they're called. And um, they're doing really well up there, but there's, you know, there's, there's thousands of them and there's very little development. And one of the things they said that the wolves use so uh, effectively are roads and, and seismic lines. And that they they can use it to grid a valley and and to you know herd or otherwise uh, control where where that herd of uh, caribou goes, and it, it it's pretty interesting. So th- th- those are the only places that that they're doing well. I'm um, I'm sure that that uh, the caribou you're getting would probably be from BC, but they're also having problems in BC because we end up with having um, uh, you know, there's a lot of hunting that goes on, un- unregulated hunting that. They, they just can't take it for whatever, you know, the, with all the various pressures that's on them. I mean, they, they can't take the pressure anymore and, and the populations are starting to fail. So there's a lot of places that we can't hunt. Uh, we can't hunt caribou in Alberta, period. Uh, uh, and there's a lot of places in BC now where they're, where they're cutting back on it. Yeah, BC is where we got them, the caribou. And I think Montana also got the few they had from British Columbia and they were all excited the one that they had in Montana was going to have a calf, but just prior to that, a cougar got it. Oh yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, so I guess you can't count your calves before they're born. So, one one question: um, you talked about snaring. Can you guys use lethal snares, or or are you just leashes? A uh, lethal. Lethal. Idaho uses lethal. Montana does not. Okay. It's it's confusing to me that 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 you wouldn't be allowed lethal. You know what I mean? Like yeah. uh, I I I just don't understand that. Everybody talks about you know that you're torturing those animals by holding them in a in a foothold trap or or in in a snare and everything. So why not make it lethal, right? Make it make it over well, with. Well, actually, when we when they open the season for wolves. Um, we hadn't much experience at it, so we actually invited Paul Trepas down from British Columbia, I believe yes. he is. And and since then, I've I've gone up to uh, in 2018. I'm wearing my shirt right here. Can you see it? Yeah. 
I went up to the uh, Alberta Trappers Rendezvous uh, and met uh, uh, actually yourself and a bunch of the trappers, and they were all quite friendly. And uh, we've had. Um, we always go that time of year. It's our, you know we've had our yearly bath, and so we smell pretty good. We feel pretty good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, was, it was actually a lot of fun. My two daughters and my wife and I went up, and we had a blast. Uh, okay. Was, we had a good time, and uh, you know. Morley Smith, uh, he came down and um, showed us a few things and talked to us, and, and I believe he's going to come back this fall. We we had a what they called a diverter. It was de um, developed in Alaska, and we ended up being the only state in the union that had to use one, and, and it was a, a couple of prongs of wire that stuck out parallel the trail you were trying to snare. Right. And so and the idea was when a moose would come along, its nose would hit that wire and push the snare out of the way. But okay. What we found is the deer would duck the wire and get into the snare. Yeah, well, then you're letting its head right up with it, right? <laughs> yeah. So the setup that I've been using is uh, has a breakaway, and um, it seems to work on the elk. Um, I think, is it Seneca breakaway? Yes. Maybe? Uh, well, it would be, is it a, like an S? Uh, Correct, yes. An S shape, yeah. What what weight of breakaway do you use for elk? Um, I think it's 750 pounds, whatever the largest one they have, or 750 or 850 pounds. I think it's 750. Yeah, I use eight, uh, either the 900 or 1,000 pound for moose. Okay. Um, I think, I didn't realize they had them that big, but um, yeah. I believe we're, using the 850 pounds. Okay. And okay. we don't have so much of a trouble with moose um, as elk. And I actually, I try to set where, where the elk uh, won't come, but they right. always seem to come anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I caught three uh, last year and all three of them pulled that um, S-link apart and were free. So Good. it worked. Good. So, yeah, okay. I like I, I, I agree with those. Um, they're not law here yet in, in Alberta, and but I do agree with them. I agree that they, they should have a, a, that kind of a breakaway on them, right? It's not law here either yet, but I think it's a good tool to use. So when you're, when you're using snares, then do you set big bait, big bait piles then, or do they still got to be covered? Well, I'm learning from Morley Smith. And so we will be using, uh, we can use big bait piles in the open, just like you can. Okay. But, um, uh, I haven't really had a lot of success with that, with that unless I find a natural kill that they've um, made. Then I've done well around it. Um, just kind of getting into that um, large bait um, sets. I, I know there's a man north in northern Idaho that's done very well with wolf, and he uses the large bait. Uh, a lot. Um, yeah. Quite a bit of my snaring is um, just blind sets and where I see they go once or twice and then I put a snare there and I catch a few yeah. like that. You talk, talk about Morley Smith. That guy can talk to a wolf caddy. Yeah, he's 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 a quite a character and a super nice fellow. I'm really impressed with him. Oh, In yeah. fact, all the, all the people that I met up there, I think uh, maybe I was asking, but <laughs> I, I think I got about four or five invites to come on trap lines when I was at that rendezvous, oh, which cool. was pretty impressive. I didn't uh, 
take advantage of them yet. I'm hoping I have a rain check on it. But uh, uh, yeah, every, people were so um, outgoing and nice up there. I really enjoyed our time up there. Well, it's it's different here because we own our trap lines and we're not worried about somebody poaching on our line or, or learning our line because it's ours, yeah. you know. Here in, uh, free for all. Yeah. But, um, most of the time that people respect one another and if they see that uh, a trapper is up a, a road, they'll uh, go to a different area. But yeah. it is open. open. It's public land. You can go wherever you want to and set your traps. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. When you were, when you're footholding, what's your favorite trap? Well, I like the coral. Now I've caught, most, <laughs> I've caught most wolves in uh, uh, Minnesota brand, 750, MB 750, but I prefer the coral. It just seems to screw into the ground solid and, uh, and it's got a nice big, um, uh, area for the paw, the larger target, uh, seems to hold up well. And uh, I think one of the real reasons I like it is because it, it, it'll just screw right into the ground. It just seems to be so solid. I've had some square traps of similar size and they didn't, um, to me, they didn't uh, set into the ground as solid as the coral. Well, James will be happy to hear that, but I'll say one thing about those round jaws that the coral has. It, it comes up out of the snow better than I think than a square jaw does. Yeah. You know, do, do you set in snow? Well, I'm still learning. <laughs> <laughs> I hate snow. <laughs> but uh, uh, I try to sit underneath trees, you know, where there's a good limb cover uh, along the edge of an old road or whatever, so that uh, it'll keep some of that snow and ice off. Um, I don't know that I've really caught anything in just pure snow set. I have friends that have, uh, but I haven't mastered that yet. Oh. After, after a bit, it seems they get pretty wise, and if they see any sign that you got off your snowmobile, they avoid that spot, that area. That's why you so, have a, a sleigh out behind, and you just walk off the, you just step off your snowmobile into the sleigh and, and, and work off the back end of, uh, and set, set the trap right in your, in your track itself, you know? You know, we've done that a time or two, but these snowmobiles with um, the big flippers on the tracks set my traps off whenever I try that. <laughs> oh, you're, yeah, you're dealing with, with public there, aren't you? Yeah. It's not just my trail, so. <clears throat> uh, I, I've done about pretty well as far as uh, Idaho trappers. Uh, I've caught um, right at 50 wolves since they've opened the season. That's good. Either That's caught good. or shot. And then there's a few folks around that are like in the 70s and, and whatnot, but uh, uh, we're learning. That's good. Do you have, uh, you're using the coral trap, so it's, it's laminated and offset. Is that law there or can you use any, any trap? You can use any trap. Is there a maximum size? A nine inch jaw spread. Nine inch. Okay. I wonder yeah. where that came from. I still, I've asked a lot of people where, where nine inches came from, you know, how, how they came up with that, that dimension, but. Yeah. I've never, I don't know. Is that up there too? Yeah. Is that the rule yeah. there? That, that's the maximum jaw spread for, for wolf trap and which is the largest 
largest trap out there. Yeah. Well, yeah. it seems to work well, but I don't know why they came up with it. Yeah, but, no idea. <laughs> no like idea I said, I, I've caught the MB750 is a good trap, and I've caught the majority of my wolves with that trap because I had only MB750s for quite a while. Do you uh, do you uh, peg them down? Do you stake them, or or do you you run off a drag? Well, I prefer to stake them. When I was a younger man, I let them run off a drag, but I've had to. Uh, one wolf, I had to go four hundred yards to pick him up, and it was in timber, brush, and whatnot. It was. I was quite surprised he made it that far, but I think the drag got stuck in the chain and was dragging backwards. Oh, and, okay. So yeah, yeah. Um, my sons and I kind of got abreast, and I, I was convinced he went down into this one canyon, so we made our way down there without seeing sign for a good 300 yards. And then it looked like a feller bunter had fallen out of the sky, <laughs> and everything was chewed up. <laughs> and so... We knew we were on the right uh, track, and then my son said, here it is. And I said, what is it, a bear or a uh, wolf? And he said, oh, it's a wolf. But the, and the amount of vegetation that was chewed up, I thought it could have been a bear. You know, I almost wish that you could, you know, you could have saddled him and rode him back out of there before you shot him, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. It might have been kind of a stinky ride, though. <laughs> oh, there. nothing smells worse than a wolf, right? I got, uh, I shot my first wolf when they had the first season open. I was kind of bored, so I went up to St. Joe River, which is nearby, and I uh, and, uh, ended up getting one the first day I went. And it reeked. It had rolled in something very bad. <laughs> and it reeked. And I brought it home, and I had it hanging out in the tree out in the front yard. And my my wife comes out there, and she said, Robert, if you ever get another wolf, just throw it over the bank. Don't even bring it home. <laughs> so uh, she does not like wolves. <laughs> no, no. How big do your wolves get there? Uh, you know, right around 100 pounds, I think, for a male. I, the largest I've caught was 120 pounds, and I think he had a pretty good portion of moose in him. Yeah. But um, most of them are right around... For a male, I'm going to say 100, 110 is a real big one. Yeah. Um, 96, there's a lot of 96ers. Uh, 92 seems to be a good number. Females seem like more in the 80s, 85, 89, whatever. But, yeah. And then the pups are usually in the 70s somewhere. But I have caught a, I think I caught a 69 pound once. And then I caught a female that was, like 63 or something but and she had had pups before so i don't know why she was such a runt but yeah um, you never know do you <laughs> i i got one this winter that was just shy of 100 pounds but it probably had 20 pounds of meat in it <laughs> we get quite a few hundred pounders and that's a big wolf people yes it is that's a very I, big wolf i log for a living which is glorified farming but uh so i'm logging and this guy comes up on the road I'm on and he says, uh, we'll start talking wolf, you know, and he says, did you see the picture of the lady that caught the thousand pounder? <laughs> and I, I started laughing and he says, no, there's a picture of it down at the filling station. She's holding it up. 
And I oh, said, yeah. that take one big mama to hold up a thousand pound wolf. He kind of got a dumb look on his face when he started adding the numbers up. <laughs> but, <laughs> I, th I, think, I think everybody, nobody thinks about that, like the actual physical ability it takes to lift. Uh, you know, they talk about, oh, it's a 200 or 300 pound wolf and they're holding it up. It's like, are you kidding me? My, my one boy is a, is a firefighter and, and uh, earlier in his career, he trained to do the firefighters challenge. And at one point, they have to grab, I believe it's a 160-pound dummy, just grab it by the arms and just drag it for, I don't forget, 30 feet or 20 feet or something like that. He says, that is unbelievably heavy, you know? So you start weighing everything. And I've, I've always been a, a numbers guy. And uh, the biggest wolf I've ever seen on a certified scale, my buddy Luke got, it was 124 pounds. And here's Luke and, Bo and uh, Teddy Brown were, were out and got it. Both of them are probably like five foot two kind of guys, you know what I mean? They're not very tall and they've got it on a pole and they got it over the shoulder, just like they're off in darkest Africa on, on safari. Right. And they got this, right. this wolf hanging on it. Well, it looks bigger than them. It's, it's like they can hardly keep it off the ground from dragging in the snow. Right. <laughs> and it weighed 124 pounds, but you got to remember a wolf has got eight inches of fur on it. Right. You know, they, right. You, you, yeah. you knock all that fur off and there's a lot less body there. You know, <laughs> I think, uh, there's something to be said about uh, uh, good photographers, uh, and uh, I just seen a notice on my phone that the battery's going to run out pretty soon. I might have to grab the charger, but uh, I'm looking for a plug-in now. But uh, anyway, um, yeah, so I've been trapping wolves since they opened the season. Uh, my son was talking to my wife and said, yeah, dad's going wolf trapping, and He's going to buy a snowmobile and go wolf trapping. And she said, no, he's just trapping him on the logging jobs where he's working. And no, he's, he's going to buy a snowmobile and he's going. And uh, so I showed up at home with the snowmobile and she starts <laughs> raising a few eyebrows, you know, but uh, <laughs> we, uh, I've been, I have to work. So I just do it. And, you know, a lot of times I was up at night doing it, you know, checking my traps. It was not ideal. Uh, I, I suppose the people in northern Canada are out at, in the dark a lot on yeah. their lines. But it's it's not ideal to read all the sign and see what's going on, and and uh, so you can adjust your sets or or set snares. Or sometimes you'll see tracks in the dark that tell you there's a kill around there, but you don't have uh, you don't have enough light or or night. You, maybe you got to be back to work in the morning to do it uh, justice. Of all the conditions that make, you know, make up trapping or make trapping difficult, the lack of light is the worst. Um, yeah. Our shortest day here in, um, you know, on the 22nd of December, whatever, we have about seven hours and 10 minutes worth of daylight. You know, that's from sunrise to sunset. And, and that's if it's not snowing and, you know, <laughs> December, yeah. we get a lot of snow. So you, you, you operate a lot in the dark, you know, it's, it, it, it makes it tough. You know, cold isn't as isn't as tough, and snow isn't as tough as that that dark. Because things just yeah. you're you're really out of your um, out of your element. You know, like I mean, yeah. things just don't don't make as much sense when you're you got to look at it through with the headlamp or flashlight or whatever, right? Yeah, you don't have a broader picture. I don't think. I think you're too everything's too focused, and yeah, you okay. can't see the whole picture of it. So, yeah, okay. I better start talking fast before my camera dies. <laughs> Do you need to find a charger. 
<laughs> well, I'm looking around for one here. Uh, and then a plug-in will have to do. So let, let me take a quick look. You tell the guys a story for a second. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to cut this part out. Yeah, no, I don't see the charger, Andy. We'll just do the best we can here. Why don't I talk about F4WM a little bit? Well, let's get at that then. That's the, that, was, that was the thing that we were here on, to talk about is uh, why we we're talking about wolves and what your, your, your personal uh, uh, vendetta against wolves, I guess, or your personal interest in, in the wolf trapping and, and hunting. Well, when the elk um, ate uh, 14,500, when the wolves ate 14,500 elk out of a 16,000 elk herd, I thought, hey, we, we better slow these guys down a little bit. So, People have uh, no you, idea how much they eat. How many wolves do you have? We we have. They finally decided last summer. Well, last summer's count, one thousand five hundred and forty-one. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and our management plan calls for a hundred and fifty at the minimum and five hundred at the maximum. So, well, well over that. We're, we're supposed to, they, they say for a nice balance in Alberta, we should have 1,600. And they say that we're somewhere between eight and 9,000. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's way over, overboard. That's how it is here. And they took off well. You know, they turned them loose in central Idaho, and they turned them loose in uh, Yellowstone Park. And um, I think they should open the season the day they turned them loose. Maybe we could have kept up with them a little bit. But uh, <laughs> You know, the Greenies, they uh, wanted so many wolves, and they agreed to it. And then uh, as we got that many wolves, they kept pushing it higher and higher and, and court cases and whatnot. And they waited way too long. I don't think we needed to lose, you know, 15,000 elk out of that herd before we opened the season on wolves. But so they did. when did this all start? It was in uh, uh, 19... Or, uh, yeah, 1997, I think, is when they turned them loose. Okay, and when did when did the the uh, uh, foundation for the management of, of wildlife start? It started in uh, 2011. 2011. And, yeah, and how it started is there uh, about eight or nine uh, men in Sandpoint, Idaho, were concerned of the uh, depredation on uh, or the elk numbers going down and. Uh, and the uh, moose numbers going down and the wolf numbers going up. And so they were trying to decide how we could fight it. And one of the guys said, well, why don't we pay trappers to catch them? And so it, it started from that. And, um, and in 2012, we, uh, we became a 501C3, uh, which is a nonprofit organization. And so we have... Um, kind of mimic the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation or, or um, other organizations that have a banquet and $35 membership and, and gather funds. And then uh, the way it works is if, uh, if you catch a wolf, a uh, legal wolf, you take it to the Department of Fish and Game and, and you get a, a mortality report. And that, that means that you show that to us and we know it's legal. And then you sh you also uh, copies of receipts of anything that you spent 
to get wolves, whether it be snowmobile payment or uh, snowmobile gas or tires or rifle or shells or traps or lure, whatever, Expenses. anything, any expense that you had. And there's lots of them. If you trap wolves, you know there are lots of expenses. Oh, God. <laughs> and so you uh, present that to uh, the secretary, and she sends you a check for anywhere from $500 to um, $1,000. So, and so far, we've, uh, we've spent uh, 554000 on 844 wolves that we've reimbursed for here in Idaho. 844. Wow. Yeah. That so is, that is, that is a remarkable though. I mean, that might sound like a lot of money to a lot of people, but um, years and years and years ago, when they were talking about heli uh, gunning wolves in Alberta, uh, a, a partner and I, we put in a bid for it. And at that time we were figuring that if, if we, it would cost us about $4,000 a wolf to, to, to heli gun them. Yeah. Um, and I know that the last uh, numbers I saw, cause they have a, in those caribou zones I was talking about, they have a, a poisoning uh, program going on where they poison wolves. And of course they kill moose to, to, to bait, to put the, the poison bait in. But those, even when they're poisoning, they're costing about $7,000 a wolf. As hard as that is to believe, that's what it's costing is about $7,000 a wolf. So I, I don't know what it would, would normally cost there, but for you um, to get eight. It's $9,000 for the Idaho Wolf Control Board to uh, take out wolves that are uh, catching cattle and sheep. Cost them $9,000 a wolf. So There you go. We're, we're getting it done for $656 a wolf by, uh, you know, volunteer and sportsmen, trappers and hunters. Well, that, that's the way it, it is, though. I mean, the day that you don't have trappers out there on the land removing wolves and, and, uh, and coyotes for free, God help us all. You know, Correct. It, yeah. it, it, it's one of the things here in Alberta, we ship 40,000 coyotes a year uh, off to the fur market. Well, the, the day that we don't do it for, the, the trappers don't do it for free, now it's going to cost how many millions of dollars for, uh, for the government to, to pay somebody to do it? Well, you take, 900 wolves times 9,000, that, that, that's $8.1 million that the, those wolves would have cost the government, right? Correct, yeah. yeah. It's, so it's, our program's working. Um, there's a lot of benefits that we're getting besides just uh, reimbursing trappers for wolves. And, and that's, uh, we're bringing, uh, we work with the other um, organizations in Idaho, whether it be the Idaho Trappers Association or the North Idaho Fur Takers or the Hound Hunters, um, the cattlemen, um, uh, we've been working with a lot of these other, uh, organizations and we get, we come to a table and, and, um, discuss problems and how we can resolve them before we take it to the, um, the fishing game or the commissioners to get some season changes or, uh, equipment changes or whatever. So we, we brought a lot of unity, um, with these other organizations and I, and it's really helped um, our cause here in Idaho to keep trapping in general um, uh, vibrant and also to lower the wolf numbers and, and things like that. I, I'm, I'm sensing that you're getting a lot of cooperation from the government. Is that so? Um, we love each other and we hate each other. <laughs> you know, we work well with them and sometimes they don't like us and sometimes we don't like them, but we do work well together. And, 
they actually, we've gotten some grants from them uh, in the neighborhood of $10,000 uh, a um, um, an area. Um, there's like seven uh, units in Idaho, larger units, uh, districts or whatever. And um, each of them offers a certain amount of money that $10,000 uh, and then there's a $3,000 statewide one. And, and several years we've actually been awarded that from the state of Idaho, the Department of Fish and Game. And uh, what they uh, require is that we use it in areas that they specify where the elk numbers are especially hit hard. Right. And then we have, to, we have to match it with funds of our own. And um, in those areas, we pay up to $1,000 per wolf reimbursement to the trapper. Usually it's a little maybe more rugged country or outback or something. That's good, though. I mean, it's good to become useful to the government because after a while, you're just another line in the budget, right? And then they can't get rid of you. <laughs> we hope so. <laughs> we're, we're hoping right now, you know, we've, we've been working with the government and uh, commissioners and, and uh, trappers and whatnot and getting our seasons lengthened uh, for trapping and hunting and uh, the number of units in Idaho opened up uh, where we can hunt and trap wolves. Uh, and so, we're making headways uh, a little more organized, I think, than we were in the beginning. Okay, so you're there as a trapper or as a hunter of wolves. Is there a quota? Is there how how many you can hunt or, or trap in, in a season? Or uh, yes, uh, each if you have a hunting and a trapping license, you can buy 15 hunting tags and 15 trapping tags, and so you would uh, max out. At, and you can trap a wolf, put a hunting tag on it, or vice versa, shoot a wolf and put a trapping tag on it, as long as the se both seasons are open. And that would give you a maximum of 30 wolves in a year. Wow. So, and what, what does the tag cost? I, uh, I think it's $13 now. It was eleven fifty, but it might be thirteen fifty now. I'm not sure. Well, they're serious. They're serious about utilizing you guys then. Yeah, yeah. So we're, we're excited about it. And we've been, uh, the tag limit was 10, five each hunting and trapping. And, and we got them to move it up to 20. And now we've got them to move it up to 30. This will be our first year with 30. So we did have, uh, not too many people get the 20. We had one last year. I think they got 20 wolves or maybe two. Or a couple real close there, but so it's a challenge though for people. We'll see who gets to thirty this year. That is a challenge. Yeah. It, it, it's funny though, you know, when you become useful to the government, it's a, it, it's kind of a, a one of those confusing feelings, isn't it? You're you're useful, but it's to the government. <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, that's a, that's a, quite the subject. We could get into politics, but I don't think we want to go there tonight. <laughs> So, the flip side, yeah. must have enemies. You oh must... no! Everybody loves us. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we haven't. I'm sure that's coming someday. You know, there's a few folks that have uh, asked for our uh, paperwork, uh, which we have to um, provide to them, as we're a nonprofit organization. But we haven't been um, really attacked in the courts or anything yet. Really. Um, right. And uh, we're happy about that. Um, there's people who don't like us, of course, mostly down in Sun Valley. 
That's yeah. uh, where the movie stars live. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, well, it's funny because, I mean, the, the, the trappers are getting attacked in, in Montana and uh, in Oregon, right? Is it Oregon correct. or Washington? Yeah. Washington, they, 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 cut, they, they cut back. I think they can only use... No foothold trapping in Washington. That's right. I think, yeah, just live trapping. And Oregon's right, right in line working towards that. Montana, you would think Montana would be quite conservative, but um, there's a lot of, uh, in Missoula and around the universities and stuff, it seems like there's a lot of um, more liberal ideas. Um, Do you have an education program? Um, we do. Uh, in fact, I mean, not, uh, not just, not just going down to the bar and saying, Hey guys, let's go shoot some wolves. Cause all the hunters, <laughs> they, they were right with you. But I mean, to try and try and spread your word, you know, chew those uh, people at the we're, university. We're, working, we're growing. We're actually, uh, uh, 3,500 members right now. We're, we're growing pretty fast and, uh, we have some, we're making some brochures and we have, uh, I had a little rendezvous and, and have demonstrations and we in, uh, have invited a few trappers from your neck of the woods down or, or British Columbia and, and uh, Alberta. And we'll continue to do that. Um, so we're trying to reach out and we're, we're, we had a brochure that was kind of geared toward hunters and trappers. And so now we're making one that's uh, another one that's geared toward the cattlemen how we can help them with their cattle uh, wolf problems and then we have another one that we're making that's just for john q public um try and combat some of the baloney that the far left is puts out about how uh, wolves and stuff we want to try to bring them back to some sound science and um reality check on wolves yeah but facts and science never combat emotion right no I know. And so we're kind of trying to, you know, it's kind of a word game in a way, you know, they pick a phrase or a slogan and um, we're kind of constrained because we want to tell the truth. We don't want to lie about it. And so we can't use the same tools that the other side uses. Well, it's even like, you know, the, the old argument about animals being skinned alive, right? And no. You know, just the, the the whole thought of it, like, how would you begin to, to skin an animal alive when, you know, the whole value in that animal is that fur and, and you don't want to be bitter, clawed or whatever. I mean, it's just ridiculous, but people believe it. I mean, it is so ridiculous. And why would you do it? Why would you skin him alive? It's not like he, he's going to grow another fur, you know what I mean? You know? I've never heard that one myself, but... Uh, oh, it's it, Peter, that's one of Peter's biggest things. They actually paid somebody oh. in China in one of the... Maybe it was a raccoon or or fox uh, farm in China to actually do it, ah. and they've been charged over it, of course, and all, all that kind of stuff. But I mean, it, it, it's ridiculous. The other the other thing that we we see uh, a little bit of is uh, them talking about you know the the, the mother coyote or, or the mother wolf is is you know stuck in the trap and their baby her babies are in the den starving to death. Well, you know nobody general public has to have it explained to them that. When we trap them, it isn't that time of the year. Those animals are all adults at that point. There, are, there are no babies around, you know. But I know what you mean. We like to, to uh, you know, not argue on that based on emotion. We want to be factual on that, and facts just don't don't win against emotion. It seems. Yeah. So we're we're working our way through that now, trying to trying to think of a 
a good way to get the message across to soccer moms and joggers and hikers and photographers. Um, we haven't really found that little way to do it yet. Do you got any ideas? Let us know. <laughs> it's always good when one of their, one of their pets gets eaten. <laughs> yeah. so we, we do have educational, you know, programs for like, um, safety you know how to get your dog out of the trap if it gets caught or most of the time when we're wolf trapping they like to use that that we're going to break their little dog's leg and stuff but when we're wolf trapping we're usually not around where um the berry pickers are all done by that time and uh and it's pretty remote where we trap wolves they're they're, they're around the edges of our towns but not not really that close in and here we uh, abide by ahitas so all of our traps are are padded jaws or they're they're laminated and offset so nothing gets broken your hand doesn't get broken if you get caught in it like i mean that 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 argument is is completely invalid but we had we had two years ago uh edmonton had a problem uh with beavers and of course big river valley runs through there and beavers are industrious and and uh great at multiplying anyway they they had uh trappers hired to take care of all this right horlack park was being logged by, by the beavers and people found out that these beavers of course were being were it was lethal right because you just can't take a beaver from one pond to go throw it in another pond right away there's a battle one of them ends up dying or getting pushed off and and then mother nature has all kinds of wonderful plans on on you know for her denizens i mean how their the rest of their life is going to go you all you did was just delay it dying and made it made it that much more miserable but they it was a big uh, protest and everything and then it got down to the point where uh you know they, they'd actually stopped the trapping and then one of the one of the people's dogs was out went out swimming in horlack park and swam too close to a beaver beaver grabbed a hold of it and drowned it well, then then we were back to we were back to whacking and second beaver <laughs> yeah. I, I see the beaver starting to be a quite a thing in oregon they're trying to stop trapping of them they say that they're uh making habitat for the Chinook salmon and, and whatnot. And so, uh, and you know, that's the biggest farce ever because if the dam is there, the Chinook salmon can't get up there. Correct. You know, (laughs) but they're using that for a leverage with the John Q public who, who don't know any better. So that's why we need to educate the public on what the truth is. But and it's the same thing as with, with any, uh, power dam that you have on a river or whatever, a beaver dam is a settling pond. So what happens if there are any eggs or spawn that are spawned out in there that, that, that uh, they get covered in silt and, and everything dies. We've, we had that problem in, in uh, our grayling rivers and that here in Alberta, right? You know, beavers, they get to be too many beavers. They, they get in there, uh, they dam the place up and then pretty soon the fish can't get up there to spawn or, the, or they do spawn and the, and the eggs die out because of the, of the silt settling over. So once again, yeah. While it sounds like they, you know, they've got that great emotional uh, argument there, the, the science isn't there. Correct. Yeah. You know? But a lot of people don't stop long enough to consider. It's just like the thousand-pound wolf that the lady's holding up. Yeah. People aren't stopping and adding the numbers up, and it's the same with the uh, beavers or the wolves or anything. They they're not stopping and putting uh, right reasoning to it. No. Uh, no. They, and, you know, I mean, the whole, the whole problem with animals is that you can't put them on the shelf. We can't, 
you know, take all these moose and, and set them on the shelf and, and, and wait for, you know, next year or whatever. I mean, nature's got it, her own plans for it. And there, there are so many other variables that's involved. As you've discovered, when wolves can eat their way through a lot of elk in a, in a big hurry. We, we discovered that, yes. <laughs> so how are, how are your elk herds doing? Hey, Rich here. Sandy and I are pleased to announce the launch of our exclusive community, Trapping Inc. Nation. We've created the community to connect more closely with our fans, friends, and supporters without the interference and censorship of social media companies. By making this community subscriber exclusive, we can share thoughts and ideas freely without the censored photos, shadow banning, and deplatforming of Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Trolls will be a thing of the past, as not one will spend a nickel to protest on a paid site. Here you're going to get to see the new Trapping Inc. videos months ahead of YouTube and Amazon Prime availability. New podcasts will premiere here for a week as well, and we are going to be sharing articles on trapping and guns and shooting, as well as our new TV series, Married to the Hunt. The forum is here for everyone to post on and interact. You can message us directly. Post and interact with all the other subscribers. We ask that you be respectful and helpful. This whole venture is about taking the Trapping Inc. TV community to the next level of building a community of shared interest and interacting with you, our fans. Who knows where we can go from here? To sign up, just go to locals.com and sign up for a free account, then search for Trapping Inc. and subscribe. $3 per month is the minimum fee we can charge, and that is where we have set it. That simple, just go to locals.com, open a free account, and then subscribe to Trapping Inc. Help us spread the truth about our way of life and the responsible and ethical management of the wild resources. And now back to today's show. With Idaho, you have, in the southern part, it's completely different than the north. And in the southern part, the wolves are being displaced, or the wolves are displacing the elk and pushing them out onto the uh, farmland. And so the farmers are losing their crops and it's costing the state of Idaho a lot of money. And the officers, and they've got to go down there and um, actually they're spotlighting elk at night to try and relieve pressure on the farmer's fields. This year, because of the drought down there, they've started that already. Uh, up in the northern part, we don't have that problem so much. We have a little bit with the wolves pushing the elk around, but uh, we don't have near the farming up here. And so our our problem is the back country, the elk herds have been um, devastated by the wolves. Okay. So, so are the wolves being pushed out down in, in, in into the farmland down south by the wolves or, or is there not, not enough wolves to control them? What's, what, what is? In the farmland, the uh, wolves are pushing the elk out of the mountains into areas where the elk never used to live, but the wolves aren't following following the elk. Oh, okay, I got you. I got you. So it's, for the elk, it's a choice of live in the mountains where they historically lived and get chased by wolves every day, or move down to the farmer's fields where there's lots of food and relatively safe because humans are nearby. Yeah, it's amazing that interaction, how that works between ungulates and and humans, how they become used to that. We had a situation here in one of our wildlife management units and it uh, boundaried on a river. Okay. The, the, the dividing between the one unit and the next was, was this river. And on the north side of the river, 
just a mile or so from the river, it started into agricultural farmland. Well, the elk would come in every night and they would be up and down through that, uh, through all that farmland and they're doing a huge amount of damage and they were getting into bale yards and, and we were paying big, big dollars to, to take and, uh, uh, you know, protect these bale yards, put up fencing and all that kind of stuff. So they ended up uh, putting out a, a bunch of tags for these elk. Well, what ended up happening, and we discovered later, was that we were not trying to drain the, drain the elk of just that one management unit. Those elk were, were actually probably coming eight miles every night. They were they were five six miles across the river to the south in the different unit in the bush in the big bush and that, and then they were they would they would make that migration into into the food every night. So we ended up not just uh, taking down the uh, the elk population in, in the agricultural unit, but but in the in the forest unit as well. I think that's similar to what's happening here. So, uh, but it's kind of a complex for the foundation for wildlife management to try and help the ranchers and farmers and the uh, elk hunters because we started by we were started by a group of avid elk hunters who were passionate about elk and hunting and um, and so go try to sell a farmer, you know, that's having elk damage. We don't have enough elk, you know, so we have to. Uh, it's different problem for different areas in Idaho, but it's still rooted in the reintroduction of the gray wolf. Isn't that amazing? That is absolutely amazing. Um, just one second. I have somebody at the door. <laughs> I'll be right back. That's all right. My apologies. <laughs> my doorbells went off. My, my, my two uh, bird dogs. Uh, we have a, a painter here right now. Uh, we're repainting. This virus uh, is enough to kill anybody, isn't it? <laughs> 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 had, to, had to take down everything off all the walls and patch and paint and all that kind of stuff. So I'm not a happy guy. No, I, I can relate to you. I'm doing some projects myself right now. Yeah. So. Hey, how how did, has Idaho made out during this? During yeah, the, the COVID? Yes. Uh, we've been actually not so bad, I don't think. Uh, um, we've actually been fairly lightly hit i think boise you know the city had more perhaps but um in a little bit in kootenai county up here where i live but um for the most part it's, we haven't been affected that much okay let's get back to our podcast we were just talking about uh partnering i guess basically what you're talking about is, is partnering with the farmers to the ranchers and that to make them understand how the balance has been upset and correct at one time, was there a lot of wolf, like naturally, in in Idaho? Uh, in the nineteen twenties or thirties, we uh, got rid of all of them. Okay. For the most part, I mean, they might there may have been some remnants around, which is kind of surprising that they just didn't come back naturally from Canada. You know, we're common border up on the north there, and there's wolves just inside of Canada. So I don't know why they didn't repopulate naturally out of Canada. They're sure spreading now from Idaho. They've gone to Washington and Oregon all the way to California. And I just wonder why they didn't. That is curious. That, that is curious. So now the, these, these wolves are, are, are spreading out from Idaho into, into Washington, Oregon, and all the way to California. Correct. Yes. And they're headed toward Utah and, you know, and then they've got other reintroduction projects in, um, in the works in New Mexico and, uh, Colorado and uh, they're trying to get an initiative passed in Colorado this fall beyond the ballot to bring wolves um, 
to require wolves in Colorado reintroduction. They're coming in natural right now. So it saved them a lot of money if they voted that initiative down. <laughs> How many wolves did you start with? Ah, boy, that's a tricky question. I think it was just in the teens, like, uh, hmm. You know, I don't remember. It wouldn't, wouldn't have been over 30 wolves they, that they turned loose uh, in central Idaho. But they really took off now, and they're just like 1,500 in Idaho. I think there's like maybe between two and 400 in Washington. Um, Oregon, I don't think, has so many yet. There were only a few, like one pack or two in Cal Northern California now. It's just amazing how fast they're spreading. Okay, well, talk about your organization. Um, is it just for folks in Idaho? At this time it is. We're, uh, we, we were trying to go to Montana, but Montana has a um, certain kind of law on the books that, um, that needs to be changed before we can offer reimbursements for a uh, big game, which is what wolf is classified as. Okay. So for right now, it's the, the entire state of Idaho. Uh, we have members, uh, I think, like 13 states or so. Our members are in different states that come out here hunting or whatever. So. Oh, really? Oh, so, yeah. so people can, can come there and, and hunt? Oh, and yeah. yeah, anybody, anybody uh, if you're out here hunting bear, it's legal to shoot a wolf over a bear bait. And if, uh, if you, a lot of people just come out hunting wolves and they've got a misconception that, you know, they call up and they ask, you know, I'm going to be coming out. I'm going to, I'm going to want to shoot about 10 wolves, you know, and stuff like that. <laughs> they, don't, they don't understand that it's not so easy. <laughs> in fact, the hunters, uh, in I, per number of tags sold, the, uh, the amount of um, success is less than 1% for hunters. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, for trappers, it's uh, uh, just a minute here. I got that. For trappers, it's uh, 30, I think it's 30 percent. Oopsie, <laughs> <laughs> trappers, uh, 30 percent, correct? Okay, yeah. so well, that's that, that that's interesting. We have similar stuff to, to that, like the um, we have over the counter bighorn tags in Alberta. Yeah. You can, you can buy a tag over the counter and, and you can go hunting. If you're, if your resident resident success rate is between two and 4%, uh, wow. then there's the, uh, outfitters that, that, uh, bring in non-residents. And I think they have 80 some tags, but their, their success rate varies year to year, but it's 20 to 30%. So it's oh, 10 well, times. I've watched a few videos of, uh, just resident, um, British, no, they were Albertans, I think. Yeah. And they were, uh, sheep hunting and it looked like quite an adventure. They packed way in and, and they did get sheep. Yeah. Uh, I think some years they don't and some years they do, but, uh, is that an unlimited tag that sheep tag? Uh, in what way? Uh, if I shoot like, one this year, I can't hunt next year. But in like, is there a limit on a number of people that can buy that tag? No. Just open, huh? Well, it's mostly because success rate is so very low. Yeah. yeah and we, we have, have a unit here in the States, uh, in Montana, there's a unit, uh, an area that they, uh, unlimited tags. You pay the full price, so a non resident is going to be close to $2,000 to buy a tag. And then there again, the success rate is very low. Yeah. 
Yeah. But most of our units are draw. Uh, you put into an application and like maybe a hundred people or 200 put in. And then if you're lucky, you get your name pulled. Yeah. So. Yeah. Now I know that we're us in BC are the only two places left in North America where you can buy an over the counter uh, bighorn sheep tag. We can't even do that with, uh, with moose. Like moose is all on draw elk. You can buy over the counter deer. You can buy over the counter, you know, that kind of stuff. But certain animals are, they have them unlimited draw just, just to, uh, I don't know, protect the numbers they say, but they took and put our moose on draw and then they built the population up higher than it ever been. And then we got, uh, do you get, do your moose get ticks down there in the wintertime? Oh, yeah. 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 We got, we got, I don't know if it's, well, I know it is. Since the wolves came in, we've had a lot more tapeworm cyst in the meat. Do you know what they are? Yes. Little, yeah. Yep. A, a lot of, I had a cow moose tag a few years ago. They've closed that since. They should have closed it years before. But it had uh, big sacks of fluid in the lungs. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I guess that's related to tapeworm uh, cyst. And then another moose that my daughter got a few years ago, about every um, slice we made when we're uh, butchering up the animal, you would cut one of those tapeworm cysts, which just little ones, yeah, yeah, they're they're what like size of a coffee bean kind of thing, correct? Yeah, and they're waiting to get devoured by a wolf so they can turn back into a tapeworm. Yeah, I know it's that's crazy, yeah. isn't it? How, how how those interactions work, but we we didn't have that problem to that extent before the wolf came back. Yeah, they brought it back with them. Brought it back with them, yeah. So people can can join your organization. They can come wolf hunting in in Idaho, and if they're successful, they can get back their their expenses uh, up to a, a a maximum amount per unit, right? Correct. Yes. Okay. Tell everybody uh, what it costs and uh, where they can find you. Okay. Uh, the cost for membership is thirty five dollars a year. You can be a life member for $1,500. And uh, where you can find us is on um, www.f and the number four WM. <laughs> Think of my spelling there for a minute. www.f4wm.com. Okay. And uh, there'll be a lot of information on there for you. And, um, right now with our, uh, our, uh, getting open or getting some seasons open longer and, um, and some, uh, hardware requirement changes and whatnot, our wolf harvest is going up. And so that's good, but we are having to struggle more for financial to make sure we cover all these, uh, you know, trappers that apply for uh, uh, reimbursement. So, where uh, where right does now, your money come from? We have um, banquets and auctions, and uh, and our membership is very important. Uh, Thirty five dollars adds up. So, at a typical banquet, um, 
Banquets are our largest. We have, we've had, uh, this year we've had two, and then the COVID shut us down. We had two more planned. So that's going to kind of cut us short. Uh, and then we get some money from grants and then donations and things. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, it's, it's an important thing. And, and, you know, I mean, it's the type of organization that I really approve of and, I, and really uh, makes me happy to see because it is, you know, the uh, sportsmen themselves being the conservationists and, and putting their money where their mouth is, right? Correct. I just wanted to tell you how much we've spent this year, this last season, for a total of um, 253 wolves, we spent $196,000. So it's a, a goodly amount of money, and we're, we expect to end up around 400 wolves a year. And so, you know, at least double that amount of money. So uh, we're, we're needing funds. And we're trying to think of ways to gather them. So well, it's a terrible year for that for everybody. I mean, uh, my son is the president for the the uh, wild sheep chapter in Alberta, and literally, their uh, their banquet was on the weekend before everything got shut down. So they were they just got it in. Now the, the over in BC they didn't, and so everybody's scrambling trying trying to make make up money. What are your seasons? Our season for um, trapping in some of the more remote units opens on September 10th and closes on March 31st. And for more uh, closer-in units, it trapping opens on October 1st, maybe, 10th. October 10th <laughs> and runs till March 31st. <laughs> Snaring... <laughs> <laughs> snaring uh opens on november 15th and ends on march 31st okay but they can find all that information at your website uh some of that information they would probably find on the idaho fishing game big game regs to make okay. sure they get it right and not messed up by me <laughs> <laughs> what that's good this is uh this has been uh, an interesting uh talk and uh, i don't know what when things are going to open back up again, but uh, Sandy and I'd like to get down to one of your guys' conventions. And, oh, uh, that'd be great. We'd, we'd like to have you. And we have one in Sandpoint. We have one in Coeur d'Alene. We have one in Lewiston. We're hoping to. Uh, the COVID messed it up. And then we were planning one in Boise. So we're, okay. uh, when will the border open up? Do you have any ideas? I'd like to come up to uh, the Alberta rendezvous again, but I think we might be sealed off at that time. They they canceled it. It was supposed to happen here um, later this month. And, uh, in July, wasn't it? July. Uh, actually, this, this, I think, yeah, you're right. But the border's closed till the end of July now. They just extended it again this morning. Oh, okay. Yeah. So yeah. I guess I'll have to go to our wedding then. <laughs> there, That's cruel and unusual punishment. Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, I guess that answers that question. Okay. Give us, give us the, your contact details one more time, and we'll get out of here. Okay. It's uh, Foundation for Wildlife Management, www.f4wm.com. Right. Uh, there's plenty of information there. It has been a pleasure, sir, and thank you for taking time. We've had a couple of issues 
the dog doorbell and and uh, your phone going dead, but we got it done. I'll get this yeah. up here in uh, in the in, next week. You'll see it. Been a pleasure, Richard. Thanks. Take care. Thank you. Bye.